Welcome to Soaring the Sky, Glider Pilots Podcast. Hi, I'm Chuck. I will be your host. And today, we take the studio on the road to a grass strip and hangar that holds a lot of aviation history in Allegheny County in Western Maryland. It includes a fully restored 1946 Schweitzer SGU-119 that also soared over Oshkosh and won Grand Champion Vintage Glider in 1998. Come join us now as we sit down with Bob Armstrong as he tells us his story of this glider and other airplanes he and his father restored and flew over the years, along with his adventures in the air. Let's join Bob and I now in his hangar, now on Soaring the Sky. Bob, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Can you give me a little bit of visual description of where we are? Well, we're in Allegheny County, Maryland, and welcome here for your first time, Chuck. Thank you. Um, we're in western Maryland, just southwest of Cumberland, Maryland, yeah, right in the valley, uh, along Route 220, right on the West Virginia state line. The Potomac River borders my property. And a beautiful setting it is. We were just down alongside the river here a few minutes, a few minutes ago, and the grass strip, I think, the way it looks, it goes kind of along the river here. Yeah, the orientation is northeast, southwest, parallel the valley, basically. And to fly in and out of here, how is that? Uh, to me, it's just fine. But I encourage friends that come that they come in the correct kind of flying machines. I consider it a cub strip. I've got like 1,700 feet. But I do have trees you have to cross no matter which way you depart. Okay. So it can be a challenging strip. If, if I have somebody contacts me about coming in a 172 Cessna or a Cherokee, the little red flags start popping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're, you have a hangar setting here, of course, next to the river, next to the airstrip here. And I'd like to take a walk around, and you've got some very interesting airplanes in here. Well, and we can we do can that. take a look. The first one we see right here. This is a 1946 Aronka 7AC Champion, or Champ. Um, it's been in our family since 1974. The first restoration that my father and I completed was a 1927 OX-5 powered Waco 10. It had been in our family for 62 years and last August, at the wishes of my father who passed away in 2004, I placed it in a museum in North Carolina. A promise I made to him that that would happen someday. Uh, that was our first restoration, and the restoration on it was begun in the uh, fall of 1974, and it was finished in the spring of 1981. In, the, in 74, we bought this Aronka Champ to have something to fly, and it was just a run-of-the-mill. It wasn't very pretty. Um, we bought it down in Virginia. So when the Waco was finished in the spring of 81, we put this airplane, the Aronka, in the shop, and it was completely restored and finished in the spring of 1983. And uh, that same summer, we flew it to the very first National Aronka Association Convention in Middletown, Ohio, 
which is the factory site, and it was the first place winner in the classic category. Later that summer, we flew it to Oshkosh, and it won the grand champion Gold Lindy for classics at Oshkosh 1983. Very nice. So it's authentic. Uh, to get that distinction, it's got to be pretty pure. Or you're not really in the running. Uh, it had a wood propeller on it when it was still on the show circuit, but I got a more better performing metal Macaulay propeller on it now. It is a beautiful airplane. I'll definitely put some pictures of that in the show notes there. People can check it out because it's definitely very nice looking. Well, before we move on to the next airplane, I should. There's another airplane that's no longer here. I still have the remains uh, in the barn up by home residence. Uh, after the Aranka was finished in the spring of '83, that fall we began about an eight-year restoration of a one-of-a-kind Pitcairn biplane built in 1927. There are other Pitcairns in existence. The one we restored is a Fleet Wing II with a Curtis OX-5 engine, and uh, it was finished in the spring of 1990. I did the initial test flight off the Cumberland Municipal Airport, where Cumberland Soaring Group is located, and it was hangered there until I established this airfield in 1994. Uh, in the spring of 1991, um, or no, the summer of 1991, my father and I flew it to Oshkosh, and it won first place gold antique Lindy. Uh, it was the oldest known Pitcairn in existence and the only one of that particular model left of approximately 10 built in the factory in 1927. Unfortunately, in 2012, I had a total engine failure departing my, this field here, going to an annual invitational picnic at the old Cumberland Mexico Farms Airport. I was by myself. The engine just quit uh, right off the end of the runway. And I had very few options. I had nothing but trees to my right, my left, in front of me. And I limped into my lower pasture. Uh, when the engine failed, I estimated that I had maybe 100 to 150 feet of altitude. And uh, the landing gear collapsed. And I rolled the airplane up in a ball. And I put myself in a hospital for two nights. I still had the remains. I'm negotiating with two different museums that has the potential of taking it someday. Again, it's another promise I made my father for the two antiques that we restored. When the glider, or the Pitcairn was finished, uh, we were temporarily out of projects. Mutual friends conspired with my father, and I think it was in about 1997, um, a friend in South Carolina contacted my dad, and he said, you need to talk to Jim Stoya in Manning, South Carolina, mutual friend. Jim is an avid antique glider collector, and he has a wonderful collection. He was trying to put together a 1930 Baker McMillan Cadet glider. It's like one step up from a primary glider. and the request that he had, if my father was interested, was if 
my dad, with my help, would restore the woodwork of the one-piece tapered wood wing. No covering, no fabric work required, but the mechanical woodwork. He would give us a Schweitzer 119 basket case project as payment. We weren't even glider rated pilots, but that's what we did. We restored the Baker McMillan wing, and I think that took uh, at least one full winter and maybe some of the spring. And then Jim Stoya trailered the 119 up and took the Baker McMillan wing home and uh, finished the Baker McMillan. And for a while, and maybe still, it was recognized as the oldest airworthy glider in the world. Oh, wow built 1930. I, as far as I know, he still owns it. Uh, it showed at some of the vintage glider meets over the years. But then we acquired the Schweitzer 119, and it was like the old times. Dad had a project in the shop again, and he loved working on flying machines in his basement shop, especially in the wintertime. And we'll, we can walk back to the glider. Um, it's not that old, but it's pretty rare. I believe the records show that there was a total of 48 production units. Uh, this is serial number 20. It was the first post-war glider that Schweitzer put back on the civilian market. Prior to the war, they built a civilian glider called a 1-7, which is very similar in configuration. And then during the military uh, years, or the war years of World War II, they were heavily involved in building training gliders to train Army Air Corps pilots to fly the cargo gliders during the war. Oh, yeah. The CG-4s and such uh, by WACO. Um, so this was the first post-war civilian entry. Um, we took it the year we finished it, and I have to look at my notes. We've restored so many airplanes, I get dates wrong sometimes. But it was, it was finished in the, the summer of 1994. My father made the initial test flight, and we had both joined Cumberland Soaring Group. We were not glider rated, neither okay. one of us. I had towed for the club in my college years uh, when Bill Holbrook was very involved in the club. He had a Super Cub, and I was all about flying a Super Cub. And I spent a lot of time at the club, not even a member, but just towing in the Super Cub. Um, so we finished the glider in 94, and then in 1995, the next year, we took it to the first IVSM, International Vintage Sailplay Meet, at Harris Hill, New York. And flew it there, and a whole bunch of friends and actually new acquaintances that we met while we were there flew it. Oh, um, very nice. I flew it. I could name names, but it looks like maybe about 10 or more people flew it during the meet. And I met Paul Schweitzer while I was there. Uh, he had been very helpful in providing us with blueprints and old factory photos, and including from his own archive which I still have, an original sales brochure wow. on this model glider. Very nice. So I met him, and uh, at the banquet, we received the most authentically restored glider trophy 
which was a big eagle. It was the biggest of all of the awards. So we were really proud of that, being new to the glider. And there, there were a lot of gliders at the meet that are much, much rarer than this machine. The IVSMs are real international events. Gliders are shipped over in container ships from Europe with cars, and then they're trailered up from, I guess, New York or Philadelphia Harbor. Um, it's a real Olympic international type event. And uh, I think next year they're gonna have another IVSM at Harris Hill. This glider was there twice uh, and flew both times. And then of course we trailered it to Oshkosh that one year. And while at Oshkosh, um, they have the judging requirement at Oshkosh to be eligible for judging. It can be trailered or trucked in, but it has to be flown while it's there. Okay, wow. To be eligible to be judged. Yeah. Well, we knew the judges from all the antique airplanes we had restored. They knew us. Right. And um, the question was, are you gonna fly it? Well, we didn't have but the glider there. So I was watching for somebody with a suitable tow plane. And one day, Dad and I were sitting in lawn chairs under the wing, out on the flight line, sitting in the shade of the wing, and a young man came by and he was really looking the glider over intensely. And then he happened to mention, he was from Illinois, and he's a member of a glider club, and he tows with his J3 Cub. I think it had a C85 or a C90 in it. And of course I perked up and I asked him, do you have the Cub here? And he did. And I said, is the hitch on it? And it is. And I said, you need to sit down, we'd like to talk to you. And so the story was, you know, the EA is hoping we can fly it. We'd like to fly it, we could be eligible for judging. And he was all about it. They wanted to do a photo op. So the EA had to coordinate with the FAA to get us a time slot. Unfortunately, it was in the morning hours, like at 10 a.m. And, uh, but, but I flew it on, on a, behind a Cub, built nice. probably in 1946 also. So everything looked right. And it was a yellow Cub, and the, the glider is A in yellow also. So after I flew it, the judges kept coming around. And we knew the routine. They, they use a score sheet at Oshkosh. Everybody that shows a vintage flying machine starts with 100 points. And then they go through each page of the scoring sheets, and certain things are deducted. If you don't have the right make and model horsepower engine, you lose so many points. Right. It's all spelled out in, in the way they run the program. Well, the judges kept coming back. And we knew about the judging format qualifications. This being a glider, and the format has questions about firewall forward. And one day I asked one of the judges, are we creating a problem for you having this glider here? I've flown it, it's now qualified to be judged. It's a vintage flying machine. And we're being judged in the vintage aircraft sector of EAA. And they, the answer was every morning, I think it is, they have a judging standards committee meeting. And he said, yesterday's meeting was all about you guys and this glider. Very nice. And he said when we, when the procedures were set up, there's the gold level Lindy, then the silver, and then there's a bunch of bronze, smaller stature, bronze Lindy's. 
And some of the bronze lindies go to the best in certain horsepower class. Every one of them says like best zero to 65 horsepower, best zero to 85. And he said, we never thought about it, but any one of those trophies, because it says zero, right. could qualify for a glider. But we didn't fit the, the judging sheet because there's questions about the engine. Okay. So they had to make some adjustments, and we didn't know what was going to happen. Well, as it turned out, we got a bronze Lindy, and it's inscribed Grand Champion Glider. It was the first vintage glider ever judged at Oshkosh. There had been other vintage gliders shown at Oshkosh, and I've been there when there have been, but they never flew. Therefore, they were never eligible to be judged. We came away home with, away with the experience of thinking, Maybe we're going to start something because EA's main magazine is called Sport Aviation, right. in quotation marks. Yeah. Uh, glider flying is all about, more so than any other facet of recreational flying, is more about sport aviation than anything else. Exactly, yeah. And we came away thinking, well, maybe we'll have started something because they took pictures and they're going to have something in the magazine about it and maybe we'll start something and you'll start seeing more vintage gliders shown at Oshkosh. We'd seen at Harris Hill some really amazing flying machines, mini Moas, et cetera, um, that you never saw at Oshkosh. And we thought, well, you know, this is something maybe good that we're going to have started by going to the trouble of trailering this to Oshkosh on an open trailer, by the way, wow. which going around the loop of Chicago yeah. was horrendously awful well that was the hope but it never really materialized yes the SSA has a, a booth there and there's some gliders displayed but I haven't seen in my recent years the influx of the vintage gliders and there, well a few years ago there was the wham uh, warbirds the, uh, the, the Ronca and the Piper training gliders were trailered in from Oregon, or no, well, that's in uh, Washington State, Hood River. Okay. And they flew and parked with the warbirds. I don't know if they were judged. The warbirds kind of do their own thing yeah. in judging. But anyway, that's the Schweitzer 119. Open cockpit looks very nice, very, very well restored. I mean, uh, once again, I'll put some pictures on the website, but it, it's just, it's pristine. I mean, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And it well, must be it, a lot of fun to fly. It is. When it was first finished, uh, I rented a tea hanger at the Cumberland Airport, one of the old tea hangers that they just tore down. Yeah. Uh, and we started training through Marvin Holland. Uh huh. He was our flight instructor. We had to get our glider add-on, and uh, we did the training in the 233 that the club still has. Yes. My dad soloed in it, and I told Marvin early on he knew my involvement with the antiques. And I'd flown quite a variety of old flying machines. And I told him, Marvin, it's your decision, but I know I will train with you in the 233, but I would really, really like to make my first glider solo in my 119. Yes. And that's exactly what he allowed me to do. Very cool. That is awesome. And uh, then we moved it down here, and I lost the ability to really fly it much. Um, I don't have a suitable tow plane to tow it out of here. Uh, I used to get some flights out of here buying a Super Cub, but the airplane was sold and the tow hitch isn't on okay. it now. 
uh, some of the most enjoyable flights that I've had in it is right behind my airfield on the northwest side of this mountain, which is called High Rock Mountain. It's a 1,000 foot vertical face with a big rock outcropping on it. Uh, in this glider, I've sat up there for three and a half hours just flying a ridge back and forth right off my own strip. Nice. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Actually, I think it's the most fun flying I've ever done in anything I've ever flown. Um, it's out of license right now. Uh, I, I probably should take it back to Cumberland, get a hangar for it there, and get it back annualed. It's ready to go. Yeah, I would love to see it in the air. That, that is an amazing piece of aviation. So I guess uh, there's really only one more airplane to talk about and parts of another one. Uh, we can touch base on this. Um, yes, yeah, so what are we looking at? Right, this is right the here. remains of a universal aircraft company, American Fleet Triplane. This one originally was powered with a Model T Ford engine. The remains were found in a barn in Grafton, West Virginia. Back in 1968, I'm looking at my dad's crib sheet hanging on the nose. Um, my dad actually talked to the designer, Cecil DeHibbs, in I think it was Fort Worth, Texas, and described this flying machine compared to his later triplane that we have blueprints for it, and there are some subtle differences. And Cecil DeHibbs, which this would have been back in the late 60s, and I'm sure he's deceased by now. He was an elderly gentleman at the time, but he said what we have here is his earlier design and it should be restored. Well, there it is. And it's not much. Uh, I have no desire to ever restore it. You can see the station for the three wings. Yes. Um, it's pretty crude. So, last but not least, uh, in the hangar anyway, we're looking now at a 1931 Aranka C-3. It's uh, first year production. Their first airplane was the C-2, which came out in 1929. And in the Smithsonian at Dulles Airport, hanging way up high in the vaulted ceiling is serial number one Aranka C-2, which was, they were really selling well but the buyers were pushing Aranka. We needed a two-place trainer. The C2 was a single seat. And if we could have a trainer, it'd be great for flying schools to rent the single seat, which was only 26 horsepower, but we needed a two seat. In 1931, they came out with the C3. This is a 31, first year production, and this is serial number A125. It's one of the first 10 built. Wow. I just acquired this airplane last August. It's not airworthy. The fabric on it is grade A cotton. It dates to the 50s, and the fabric is rotten. But uh, last month, on the 24th of June, I had a buddy here from Michigan, and for two days, he worked digitally. We wanted to see if we could get the engine running. And through his efforts primarily, we got it running. The engine is also built by Aranka, the same manufacturer of the airplane. It's an Aranka E113. It's rated at 40 horsepower. It's a two-cylinder opposed air-cooled engine. Um, the last annual on this airplane was in 1964. 
so 55 years ago, yeah. oh. we are assuming it never flew or ran the engine after that annual. Um, there's no way to prove it, but I know shortly after that, it went into a, a museum in South Carolina. Briefly, it was in a museum in Orlando, Florida, and then lastly, it ended up in Western North Carolina Air Museum at Hendersonville, North Carolina, where my dad's Waco 10 now resides. Um, I've known this very airplane since I was in high school, this very airplane. Wow. The long-standing interest that my father had was dad had his very first airplane ride in one of these when he was probably 13 or 14 years old. My dad grew up on a dairy farm just nine miles down the valley, right down the Potomac toward Cumberland, Maryland, and there was eight children in the family, seven boys and one girl. My grandpa, Armstrong, had a brother. My great uncle Bob, back in the 30s, was living in the Rockville, Maryland area. And I know dad and probably some of his siblings went with my grandfather to go visit his brother Bob. And while they were there, they happened out to an airport that's lost to history. It was called Congressional Airport. There's no trace of it now. Oh. Uh, it's been swallowed up by Greater Rockville, Maryland. Yeah. But there was a fellow there selling airplane rides and my grandpap bought a ticket from my dad's first airplane ride, and it was one of these. Very cool. Dad graduated from Allegheny High School in Cumberland in 1935. I know it was prior to that, and it couldn't have been before 1931 because the model didn't exist. So somewhere, what, four-year period, dad was 13, maybe 14 years old, he got his first airplane ride. Nice. And he always wanted to find one of these to restore. When I was in high school, he acquired Right below me is another one of the engines, and then I have in the shop down the house, at the house, a second spare engine that Dad acquired both of these engines when I was in high school with the hopes of some day finding an airframe. So now I've got three engines plus spares. It came with a nice sense in its propeller, and over on the table over there, I have a new old stock Phelan propeller that dad acquired back in my high school days when he acquired his engine. So I tried to buy this airplane and the museum charter was they can't sell any of the collection. But then they expressed an interest in my dad's Waco. And they didn't know a promise I had made to my dad was someday I would put it in a museum of my choice. About three years ago, we began a discussion and it, it all came together last August, just a little over, or a little less than a year ago. Uh, the Waco went to the museum and I got this for that. Very nice. They look at it as a trade. I don't look at it as a trade. I look at it as, as fulfilling a promise I made to my dad. I never expected to get every, anything for the Waco or the Pitcairn, which I still have, into that story. And then they gave me this airplane, which is, they got, the more valuable asset, much better condition, rare, older, you know, airworthy condition. I got an airplane that I grew up knowing about because of my dad. And this is the very first C3 I ever saw in the museum in South Carolina, which is gone now. Uh, it was Wings and Wheels Museum. On the wall over here, up high, I have an original Wings and Wheels sign from the museum that this airplane was in. Very nice, very cool. Um, I helped pump up that tire 
in Camden, South Carolina, in my high school days, Dolph Overton owned it, and my dad and I were to fly in and heard that Dolph was down in his hangar. This was the only time I ever saw this airplane not in a museum, one time. And Dolph was down on his knees trying to hook up a bicycle pump. And I remember very distinctly, it was a left tire. Uh, this would have been probably in oh, 75 or 76. And anyway, I ended up doing the pumping. Cool. <laughs> on that tire. And you got to fulfill, you know, your dad's wish to put the other aircraft in a museum. So that right there is. Yeah, and I haven't been back down. To, I've been to the museum four times. I'm a corporate pilot by trade, and I go to Asheville frequently, which is a destination for conventions. Okay. Corporate yeah. conventions. Right. So four times I've been to the museum, every time in conjunction with my company, Trip Needs. Okay. So I'll get back down there. Uh, they have it on display, the Waco. I think it's the oldest airplane in their collection now. Nice. And I flew it for, I think, 32 years. And uh, after I had the accident in 2012, I retired the Waco. That airplane had been in the family since 1956. Wow. 62 years. And I decided this airplane is too much in my DNA. I've been through this with the Pitcairn accident. Uh, I've retired the Waco. Okay. Um, so it was time. It yeah. wasn't doing me any good just sitting in the corner of the hangar collecting dust. Right. So uh, everybody's happy. Yeah, everybody can enjoy it. Yeah. Everybody's happy, exactly. What can you tell me about soaring that I know you, that you said you pretty much started out with powered. You did a lot of power, and then you got into soaring, but what did you like about soaring that you didn't find in power? Well, the early flights in the 119 at Cumberland Airport, I remember very distinctively the day that I finally, I think it was my second flight where the ridge was actually working. Right. And I was on the north side of the gap above the Cumberland Fairgrounds, working the ridge with no problem staying up. It's a low-performance glider, but I decided I'm going to try to cross the gap and go to the high knob okay. to the south. And so I had mustered all the altitude and internal encouragement that I could, <laughs> and I crossed the gap, which takes a while in that glider. Yeah. When you're off tow, it's happy at 35 miles an hour indicated. It has a red line of 75 miles wow. per hour. <laughs> But I crossed the gap, and then I felt in my bottom lift. It has a pellet variometer, by the way. If you're not familiar, uh, we can talk about that later. But, um, but it showed that I was climbing, and I went right to the high knob. And that was a blast. Nice. Uh, back in right out of my college days, I dabbled in hang gliding briefly with friends over in West Virginia. And there's hang gliding sites on our primary ridge that the gliders, the sailplanes, Cumberland Soaring Group flies at right. today. Uh, there's a, a new group of people that I don't know. But in my glider, down low by your left knee, is a uh, like a bicycle horn with a rubber ball on it. <laughs> we put it in there just for giggles. 
Right. <laughs> and so I was up flying. This was some flights later on, but I, it was a strong ridge day. Unbeknownst to me, there was a young couple up on the hang gliding launch having a picnic. And I was playing around with my horn. I guess I was bored, but I was just <laughs> having a good old time. So it was uh, later that fall, I was active in the Cumberland Ski Club, you know, mountain skiing. Right. And they had, uh, I guess it was our Christmas party we had at the railroad station, downtown Cumberland. And there were people there that I knew, and there was a lot of people I didn't know. And I heard this young, young man talking about flying hang gliders. He obviously was in the ski club too, but I didn't know him. But I got talking to him, and his girlfriend was there, and uh, found out that he's one of the new crowd flying off of Zerk's hang gliding launch, and then a newer launch site up on the high knob, and then also the fairgrounds launch site. There's all three still there. I think only one is really active anymore. And I, anyway, we were talking about Cumberland Soaring Group, and he knew of the group, and I was telling him about my Schweitzer 119. I said, you maybe you'll see it up on the ridge sometime. It's all yellow. And with that, the young lady, and I don't remember their names anymore, she spoke up, and she said, back in the fall, were you flying your glider maybe one day? And I said, yeah, several times. It was a yellow glider. And it's open cockpit. And I said, yeah. We were having a picnic. And there was a lot of wind in the ridge. So it was hard to hear because of the, the trees being, you know, the wind and the leaves, the wind noise. And I guess her hearing was better than her boyfriend's. Because her comment to me was, do you have a horn in your glider? <laughs> and it really tickled me that she asked me because I had a routine when I come across the club for landing, I would blow my horn. But my buddies, Tim Long and those right. older members, as soon as I land, could you hear my horn? And they would always deny it. And I always <laughs> figured they were ribbing me. So this young lady said, I could hear a horn blowing. <laughs> And I, I laughed and I said, as a matter of fact, I do have an old bicycle horn in my glider. And you heard it? She said, yes. And she said, but my boyfriend couldn't hear it. And it went on a while and we kept hearing you. And finally he looked at me and he said, gliders don't have horns. That <laughs> <laughs> just really tickled me. Uh, so those were fun times in that glider. Uh, another time uh, flying the same ridge, Right below the gap is the Cumberland Fairgrounds, and there's a dirt racetrack where they still have stock car races. And I was up there one year when I still had the glider down at Cumberland, and I was working the bridge, no problem staying up. And they were getting ready to start a race. And I got offset, if you were in the grandstand, I was offset to their point of view to the right. And I turned into the wind, and I looked across the side of the cockpit to check lateral drift, and I fine-tuned my heading, and then I just slowed down, and I parked. I literally parked on a ridge in constant lift. I would have looked like a tethered kite to people yeah, in the right. grandstands. And because it flies so slow and it's open cockpit, I sat there for probably 10, 15 minutes. I could hear the cars 
I watched the race. Very nice. <laughs> without paying the admissions. Yeah. <laughs> Best seat in the house, right? It was. So I've had it, uh, let's see, I think the highest I've ever been off a 2,000 foot tow at Cumberland. Uh, I was over, I think about 8,500 feet once. If I can core a small weak thermal, because it's so slow, I can stay in the thermal where the high speed ships are maybe just cutting through it yeah, that's on a right. loop around. And so I've looked down on the glass ships, but I can't go anywhere. You know, I can't penetrate. Right. So if I'm in sync, I'm in a hard place. Yeah. But it's so much fun. Um, I had uh, Tim Long fought chasing me in his uh, pick one day, and he was right behind me. <laughs> and after we landed, he said, Bob, he said, that was pretty nostalgic. I wear a leather helmet, my goggles, and behind your head, the fuselage is a triangular shape, so it's like an A-frame. And you can lean out and look straight down the side of the fuselage right at the tail. You know, in a modern sailplane with a canopy, you can't do that. Yeah. And he said, Bob, I was right behind you, and all of a sudden your head popped out looking back at me. <laughs> and it was so nostalgic. He said, you don't ever see that. No, you don't. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, and it flies so slow. I remember uh, flying a ridge one day, and a red-tailed hawk went by me, cruising a ridge the other way, and I did a 180. Yeah. And I caught up with him, and I slowed down, and I followed right behind him. I could match his speed. Nice. Going down the ridge and little things like that. It's what's so special about, as you know, Chuck, flying. Climbers. I would definitely agree. Been able to fly with a few red-tailed hawks and it's just an experience that you don't forget. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I got another airplane I could talk about down the shop, but you know, it's, I've got a Cub down here, 1936. You know what a J3 Cub is? Yeah. I got a Taylor J2 Cub. It's probably, okay. It's ready for cover, but it's like I, I got too much going on. It's a project I bought my dad because the glider was finished. And let me think. We we then we then restored this red tractor, it's a 1939 Farmall. And see, so I got a roller that, to roll the runway. And then Dad was without airplane projects, and I don't recall exactly what year it was. But everything had been restored, and we went to the annual cub flying at Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And there was four, maybe four J2s there, including one I used to fly years ago out of Mexico Farms. And I was out one evening just looking at the J2s. We were hoping to find a C3 even back then, but we'd kind of given up. And there was a gentleman out there and he asked me, he said, is that your J2 Cub? And I said, no, but I'd like to have one. I used to fly that black and orange one, and they're a lot of fun. And he said, well, I got a buddy in Minneapolis. He's a retired airline, Northwest captain, and he's wanting to downsize. He's going to move to a retirement center or something. And he's got a J2. He's had it for years. And he's been talking about getting rid of it. Well, I came home with his phone number. It wasn't what we really wanted in Aronka C3, but after doing two big biplanes, Dad wanted to do an antique fliver plane, you know, lightweight antique. Yeah. And so Dad encouraged me to call the guy in Minnesota. And I talked to him probably three different occasions. And finally, Dad and I did our last big road trip. We hitched up my glider trailer for the 119, which that trailer came with the glider. It was a project also. 
and uh, just the two of us. We hitched the trailer up, empty trailer, to the old Oldsmobile station wagon that the family had then. <laughs> Delta 88, a big old tank. And off we went to Minnesota. We stopped um, at Broadhead, Wisconsin, caught the last day of the Pete and Bull Air Camper flying, and spent the night somewhere in that area, I think. And then the next day we went on to Minnesota, Minneapolis area. And I bought this J2 Cub for my dad to have a project. And all the way home, I, I told him, I said, Dad, you know, this is going to be in the shop if you feel like working on it. But you don't have to. You've got things to mess with at the hangar and fly. We don't need to get it done in a quick hurry. Well, that was useless breath because it was just like the old time back, you know, it was winter time and dad, his routine was breakfast, especially in the winter, down to the shop, work until lunchtime, come up, have a bowl of Campbell soup, back to the basement, and then about six o'clock, mom would be preparing dinner and Dad, back then, would drink one beer a day. Just before dinner, he liked to have a Pabst Blue Ribbon. All right. And the last thing that he did in the shop at the end of the day, it's he kept a ledger, and I still have a separate ledger for each one of the restorations. And he would sit down and make an entry, the dated, and what I worked on and achieved today in approximate number of hours. Wow. To the task, why he drank his beer, and then up. For dinner and then that was the end of the day so for two years it was like the old times with the j2 and my dad was getting up in years and his health started to fail and and then he got to where he couldn't go down to the basement anymore and i still have the project and some things have been accomplished it's basically ready for cover uh, but I couldn't sell it. I don't think I can sell it because there's too much of my dad in it. Yeah, understandable. And I hope to finish it someday. But now I have a, I have two projects with the C3 acquisition last August. So it's probably just like the Waco and the Pitcairn were aircraft airframes that my dad acquired during his military Air Force career. Um, he acquired them to be his retirement hobby. Okay. Yeah. And my J2 and my C3 might very well be that same capacity for me. Nice. Well, Bob, I definitely appreciate you telling your story today, and and what a beautiful place to be able to sit down and listen to your story. And I would imagine it is an absolute beautiful place to fly, as as I've flown not too far from here, out of Cumberland, in the gliders and. The ridges in western Maryland and West Virginia are just absolutely beautiful places and up into Pennsylvania, this whole area. But thanks for sitting down with us today. I thoroughly enjoyed this and well, thanks for sharing your story. You're quite welcome, Chuck. You're welcome back anytime. I'll just real quick point out that this airfield was part of the hobby disease that Dad and I had. We were renting space at two different airports for our flying machines. and dream to someday find in the field and I have a picture in my office in 1986 dad and I hiked to the top of High Rock and I'm so happy I thought to take a picture of him and below him you can see the field that became High Rock Airfield and we went up there that day to talk about this dream 
and uh, it wasn't available then, but uh, finally I was fortunate enough to buy it, and Dad helped with the finance of the hangar, but it, it was great. Dad got to enjoy the place for 10 years before nice. he passed away, and he lived to see me pay off my mortgage. Nice. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life, greatness. My little center of my world right here. Thank you for joining us today on this episode. And if you haven't already, you can check out our other episodes that we have. Also, online, if you want to check out pictures that Bob has shared with us, you can do that. Soaringthesky.com. And while you're online, you can also check out the SSA.org where you can find more information about soaring and more information about taking your first discovery flight in a sailplane. And on social media, you can find us on Instagram, Soaring the Sky Podcast, as well as Facebook, it's the same, Soaring the Sky Podcast. And I'd like to give everyone a big thank you. I do greatly appreciate you listening. You are listening all over the globe. We have been receiving feedback from a lot of you, and like I said, we do greatly appreciate it. And if you've got a story, your glider pilot, you want to share it, I would love to hear from you. You can get a hold of me, chuck at soaringthesky.com. Just drop me an email. Love to have you here on the podcast. And if you're going to be at Oshkosh this year, like I've spoken before in some previous episodes, we will be there. We're going to be there the weekend, Friday and Saturday. We won't be there Sunday, but we will be there Friday and Saturday. We'll be hanging out there with the SSA. So stop by, see us, say hi. And we hope you join us next time right here for another great guest on Soaring the Skies.